Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is my friend who's here with me instead of going to run those jewels, Chris O'Toole. <laughs> Chris, how are you doing, buddy? Great. How are you, Dan? Good, man. Well, you, you stayed home. You didn't go to the show yeah. So because work comes first. Free work, that is. Exactly, yes. (laughs) Well put, yeah. Um, But how are you doing, buddy, otherwise? Good, man. Can't complain. Same old. You go to any concerts this last week? I did not. I should have went to one last night that I didn't go to, and then there was one tonight that I had sort of an opportunity to go to. It didn't happen, but uh, yeah, so no. But I do have things coming up, so it doesn't matter. There's always concerts. Mm -hmm. There's always concerts. There's a lot of concerts in in music. Um, I had... uh, I went to one. Yeah, I went to one last week. Um, and that was, you know, but I, I don't want to say who it is because it's going to ruin like an upcoming guest. Oh, <laughs> so I was going to say, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but okay. Yeah, I went to see an upcoming guest play and record a podcast. So I, I just don't want to ruin it. So I'm just going to nice. leave it at that. Cool. So, but we're not here to talk about the future, Chris. We're here to talk about the present. Yes. And, and, and the present task at hand is talking about Bob Bruno. From the band Best Coast. Yes. Great episode. Yeah. A great episode. He is, uh, and as I'm sure you will attest as well, probably the most knowledgeable, uh, not knowledgeable, I should say, but like some of the most deepest tastes of music of any guests I think we've ever had on this show. Yeah. I was, I was quite impressed at the range. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like that's what I was trying to, the breadth of just the, the type of styles he's into and the type of styles that came up on this show. Like, you know, and I, I say this as someone who, you know, likes a lot of the stuff that he mentioned, but I don't think I'm, I don't know, I think I'm a little more in the the, the center of things and I don't go as deep as he goes. Um, With some of I stuff. don't know. I, I just think you're more of the, you know, you're like the punk guy. You know what I mean? Obviously. Yeah. Like, like, like I don't think I would go and see anyone exclusively for a couple of years. Oh, okay. That's what you're saying. You know? <laughs> Like, I don't yeah, think there's any yeah. artist, like maybe if like Chris Erba did like a, a, a residency <laughs> at a club down the street from my house, um, <laughs> you know, I probably could see myself going to that every night, you know, 
for, yes, for a couple of years. I get what you mean now. I didn't know where you were going with that initially, but yeah, that was wild. That was wild. That's like, that, that to me blew my mind, you know, like th- I think that, and especially now I'm blanking on that dude's name, but it's the dude John from, Brian. pardon me? John Bryan was the guy. John Bryan. It's the, it's the dude from the other bats, not to be confused with the bats that I always bring up in the show from New Zealand. Yeah. This is another bats from Connecticut who are also yeah. fucking awesome. But I've never heard them, to be honest. I, sadly, I know the – well, not sadly. I know the, the Aussie one or whatever. New Zealand one, pardon me. I think I – What are they, Aussie? Uh, New Zealand. New Zealand. New Zealand, okay. Um, that Pop Gun 7-inch was a Hits and Misses reissue that I picked up. Nice. When Hits and Misses – but it was on Gustav Record. We'll get into all this on the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or in the show. Uh, <laughs> the but I guess how should we start this thing off? I guess we should get through the uh, the plugs, right, Chris? Yes. So if you would get, like to get in touch with me, you can head over to DamianAbraham.com. There's an email address there. It's just turned out a punk at gmail, turn out a punk podcast at gmail.com, I believe. But hey, go there and find out what it is. There's also past episodes you can listen to on there. You can also find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien, D-A-M-I-A-N, not E-N. And you can also find uh, this show on Facebook. If you would like to get in touch with us on Facebook, send us a message. It's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham, and also uh, Chris's e-friend, Tristan Abraham. <laughs> yep. And he will get the messages to me or Chris or whoever needs to see them. And you can also see some of the cool stuff that gets sent into the show that gets posted up on that Facebook site as well. And if you don't use Facebook and you're like, how do I see all this cool stuff? You can go to turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com and we post stuff up on there. Not as regularly, but once in a while. Uh, and uh, if you would like to support this show, the best way to do so, if you use iTunes, is by going over to that iTunes page and giving this show a rating and writing a review and subscribing to it. If you don't subscribe to the show and use iTunes, please do. And if you don't use iTunes, just tell your friends. Tell them all. And uh, yeah. And how do they get in touch with us here at this show? Turn out a punk footnotes, Chris. Uh, well, they can write us at turnedoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com, and uh, we go through these messages pretty frequently. So uh, as we will this week, you'll see what we get, and uh, yeah, hit us up. All right. And one thing that we do also get to on this show, normally when we start off this show, is anytime there's a uh, an untimely passing that kind of pertains to the – the, the musical sphere that we focus on this show, obviously there's a lot of deaths that we could talk about in this show in the greater s- sphere of music, but this is one that, you know, is a little bit out of our kind of purview, but definitely relates in a, in a direct way. So Chris, do you want to take this? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, Clyde Stubblefield, the legend drummer, um, arguably perhaps inadvertently the founder of hip hop in a certain respect, um, passed away at 73. He was a drummer of James Brown band, uh, one of many, but probably the most notable, I would argue. Um, and anyway, just just wanted to make mention of that because when I saw this news, I was pretty blown away. Um, and of course, was responsible for the very infamous break, the Funky Drummer, which even if you don't know what that is by name, in a Google world that we live in now, you could just Google it and know what I'm talking about. But um, it's probably the backbone of every you know major hip hop song that you're familiar with: Public Enemies, Fight the Power, N.W.A., Fuck the Police, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, anyway, just a pretty huge death as far as someone who uh, sort of tangentially is responsible for something hugely important to whatever subculture, broadly speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess we should also mention because 
How Can You Not Mention, uh, but I think there's uh, songs about him and definitely a connection to punk. Uh, George the Animal Steel also passed away this past week. Yes. Good the, call. Actually, I totally forgot. I was going to, yeah, good call, Dave. At the age of 79. Um, so, uh, you know, an older wrestler. Um, and unfortunately, he also is in a, in a string of wrestling deaths and, you know, and I got to mention them all now. Um, but in the past week or so, Ivan, the Russian bear Koloff also passed away. Anyone who's a fan of sort of NWA wrestling is probably very familiar with Ivan Koloff, who was a much mm-hmm. hate, despised heel for a while. And then Chavo Guerrero Sr., who uh, is also known more recently as Chavo Classic. Uh, also, if you're a fan of Mountain Goats, someone that is sung about on his most recent beat the champ record, but Chavo Guerrero senior passed away as well. And there's actually another wrestler that I'm, I'm trying to remember who now, but I'm oh, uh, Nicole Bass at, at age 52. Um, passed away. Um, she was a member of kind of, I guess she's famous for being a member of the Howard Stern uh, whack pack. Oh, okay. It's called, but she was very well respected, you know, for her, her run in ECW and then had a short run in the WWF as well. So yeah. rest in peace to all those people that passed away. Um, and I'm sure there's other yeah. people that we're forgetting. And so obviously rest in peace to those people as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I guess now we move on awkwardly as we have to do every week to yeah. uh, the news segment of the show. And this is just breaking as we hit the air, Chris. Yeah. Just as we're hitting the air right now, uh, there apparently has been a, a wrench thrown in a plan that was coming together for Riot Fest for a way for them to top last year's huge reunion. Um, and it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's kind of the last one out there, I guess, that they're, that you could get. And it's the Dead Kennedys reunion. And I guess they'd plan. Was the East Bay Ray was trying to get a reunion together, and Jello Biafra said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, not going to do it." Yeah, um, which you know backs up the fact that Jello, you know, like you know, say what you will about Jello, but I mean, a lot of people have a lot of criticism about there, you know, but you know, not gonna not gonna go for the money. Yeah, true. I mean, I I'm not surprised to hear this. I'm surprised to hear that it was ever even possibly going to happen. Because my thought, again, naively or, or whatever, ignorantly, um, I just assumed they didn't get along to the point where that would never be the case. Like, that could never happen. I, like, I think, like, you know, as you get older, money becomes more valuable. Sure. And yeah. I would say that, there, you know, times have shown us that it's almost like a much rarer thing for a yeah, but I don't, not to get back together. Do the misfits have legal issues between them? Before the reunion? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I never knew that. Okay. Yeah, there was like a big thing for uh, them to be able to tour as the Misfits. Yeah. I still don't think it was as bloody as I remember that 90s, you know, the scuffle of like – because didn't the – whatever, everyone but Jello won the back catalog rights or something, right? Didn't that happen? Yeah, like I think that – I think he had to pay him $200,000 I think was the judgment. And Dexter Holland testified – for Jello Biafra during mm. the trial, as we brought up on the show. Yeah. And, and I do hope one day Tom and John on the <laughs> best show do a reenactment of that trial. <laughs> I was just thinking that as you mentioned it, I thought, man, I hope they do a parody of that. It would be so funny. I wish they just did like verbatim. Yeah. <laughs> this is the testimony in, <laughs> in character. 
The question is, you're saying Worcester plays Dexter Holland is what you're saying? I'm saying like they play multiple characters. They just go through like they've done, they've done similar things. I don't know if they've ever done court transcript. Um, (laughs) but this would be one to do. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder, I gotta go back and look at that thing. I'm sure you can get it. Yeah. I just, so we're kind of whatever, we're going off, off tangent here or whatever on tangent, but, uh, I just assumed that since then there had been such a, a mess that they never would consider it, but I guess it seemed slightly like it might have happened, and then the last minute. They're probably like, dude, it's a million dollars. <laughs> you know, or it's like $500,000 for one show. Yeah, there's a there's a link on consequenceofsound.net that is confirms this as well, but Damien's finding it on Twitter, as I'm sure a lot of people are, but uh, there's a quote from Klaus Floride, too, and he mentions the that, in fact, uh, the Jello did turn it down. So this yeah. is directly from the people themselves. These aren't uh, whatever. This isn't hearsay. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know, though. Like, I, I think – I still think they would probably be decent to see with this lineup, sadly. That's the thing that sucks the most. Is any people that like this band, I think they would still probably be good live. Oh, they would be – yeah, it would be a, a fun show. Like there's no yep. way a Dead Kenny show in a small venue where you you could people just could go nuts wouldn't be like amazing, yeah. To see you know, but you know it's kind of like it's kind of you know I guess Fugazi and Dead Kennedys are the two that you're not going to get, and the Clash. Well, minor threat inadvertently, but yeah, yeah, like minor threat too. Same, yeah. same camp, yeah, yeah. But I kind of think like you know the Clash would have done it. Uh, I'm sure if they yeah if by you, now I think it would have happened. Yeah, I could see it. Well, they were kind of already doing – the Clash was always the drummer issue. So I think like the the front people weren't the issue. It was the what drummer would they get and all that. So Yeah, but there was know. talk at Coachella where they were throwing them big money offers towards the end. And it was like – just before, I mean, Joe Stormer passed away. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was always talk that it was getting close and just never happened. I guess the Smiths too, like you wanted to put them in the punk category as well. Yeah, I mean that. I suppose it would be whatever close enough for Riot Fest, but yeah, the Smiths one's another one of those ones though where there's that baggage of like legal issues. So that's why I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah, I think that's the only way that you'd ever have. Yeah, you know, and frankly, you don't need to really. I mean, like as much as I, I love Johnny Marr, you know, if you go see Morrissey now, he plays Smith songs. And I've never seen Johnny Marr or whatever incarnation of bands he's in, but I'm imagining he probably covers Smith songs too. So you're still kind of getting it. You know, yep. it's not really a major, especially when you see Morrissey, it feels like you're getting it. So uh, there's not, not really a need personally, but mm-hmm. uh, it is kind of a bummer just in, in, you know, thinking of these bands as classic or whatever you want to say. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a bummer to like, you know, like it's a bummer to just think that you don't have, people that kind of made great stuff get along. But then I think once you've been in a band or been around <laughs> bands, for a while, you're like, yeah, I can see how that happens. Yep. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> it's very easy for that to happen. In fact, I would say. Yeah. A lot easier than you'd think. Yeah. Um, so I guess we should move on to the next uh, thing that I wanted to talk about, or that I guess you wanted to talk about based on my freak out just before we went on air. Yeah, it was good. Uh, an Instagram account that I follow at sold out flyers just posted as we're going to air a, a flyer for a capitalist casualties, short hate temper at the drive-in fat day Artemis pile show 
at the Gilman that I was at. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy because it, it was such an awesome, weird show. And I was trying to remember because I saw a bunch of shows around the same time period and I, the bill always gets jumbled up. And yeah. then, like, looking at it, it's like, oh, this was definitely the bill because now it came back to me that, like, have you ever heard that Capitalist Casualties Live 7-inch, Chris? That came out? No, live I Butchery? Not. I think it's Live I Butchery. Uh, there's a piece of banter in it where they're like, we got you guys in for free and now you're fucking starting fights. <laughs> like, you know, or so, like something to that effect. Yeah. And when I saw them verbatim, they did the same thing. They had to do the same <laughs> thing to their fans. Well, they clearly their fans are out of hand. They yeah. And told. they were, they were having issues with one of the members of Fat Day. I remember one of their fans. Ah. Fat, do you, do you know Fat Day at all? Uh, I don't. Uh, one thing I just noticed about this flyer, by the way, is that Capital, Capitalist Casualties is yeah. spelled wrong. Yeah, it's definitely misspelled. <laughs> Casualties <laughs> specifically is spelled wrong. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Cass. Yulties. Yeah, double S. Uh, maybe that's like a, co- a social commentary about the band. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I was looking to see how they tagged it because there's hashtags, of course, for this. And they actually spelled it right in the hashtag. At yeah. Least, so, so history corrected the error. Yeah. But uh, yeah, funny. The flyer is kind of cool, though. It's like Sid Vicious, it looks like. or Yeah, what, pass what it on it? a subway. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what the uh, – I've never seen this image before, but it's got to be some kind of classic – yeah, he's Sex got a guy with a cowboy happy hat beside him, so it must Probably be in first America. Tour. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, do you remember this? What year this was? Ah, uh, have- ninety-seven or eight. Yeah. Cool. Uh, maybe ninety-seven. Five dollars with membership, Dame. Yeah. What did you? So what did you pay? Because you didn't have a membership. I bought a membership. You had to buy oh. a membership to get in the Gilman. You uh, that two dollars for membership. I already had a card by that point. Because oh. I had already been to a show. My mom was a flight attendant, so I could fly down and visit my friend kind of fairly often. I went, I think, three times, four times. Nice. And got to see some great shows. But, yeah, I had a membership to the Gilman. And it was $2 oh, yeah. for the membership, I believe, and then 5 bucks for the shows. Was it like a um, like a card, like whatever, like a card you carried? or like? Yeah, it was a card. Do you still have it? Uh, I think I'm you – know I feel I like I this is that. something that's like your bread and butter. I'm shocked you've never shown me it. I know, but I still like, you know, it's weird when it's your own stuff. It doesn't seem as important, <laughs> you know. That's like, very true. You, you are know, telling it, the public very much a, a Damianism, which is that uh, you have none or hardly any of your own records. Yeah, uh, I started getting more of it now that I've got kids to give them, <laughs> Yeah, you know, so they can have that stuff. But yeah, no, I, I traded most of my rare fucked up sh- stuff away. Yes. Um, and it, it, I just, I can't. I don't know. And I, I suppose that's to my detriment too, because now I don't have that stuff. But it's also, you know, it's hard to fetishize your own stuff. Like if someone was like, do you want to buy Jesse Michaels Gilman card for, <laughs> you know, $300? <laughs> yes, I would. See, but I think that's funnier. Like that concept is funnier. Like buying someone else's Gilman yeah. card <laughs> as opposed to just keeping your own and being like, I don't know. That's funny. That's a funny concept. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a funny uh, – definitely a, a weird, weird hang-up that I have, I think. But anyway. <laughs> Fair. But like what a bill, you know? Like you want to yeah. talk about the 90s and why the 90s were kind of fucking awesome? Look at this bill. Yeah. 
You were mentioning Fat Day, so I don't know Fat Day. I don't know Short Hate Temper either, or Artemis Pyle, really. Obviously, I know Capitalist Casualties and at the driving. Artemis Pyle um, is like this, like, crusty. So it's members of what happens next, but it's. Oh, okay. They're fucking awesome. I saw them a few times. Cool. Uh, I think they came with Forward on that first Forward tour when Forward played Buffalo. Did you read that show? I was I saw Ford and Buffalo once. I if it was it was a tragedy though. I don't think they were on the bill. They might have been. Oh, maybe it was another. Yeah, maybe they, I think they were on the bill too. Or maybe it was another time. Anyway, uh, and then uh, Fat Day were I now this might be bullshit, but I remember hearing that they were MIT professors or that they had met at MIT <laughs> or something, and they were yeah. like a, a power violence band, but like more in the uh, Discord and Axis kind of way. And okay, they had. Uh, trampolines that had some sort of some sort of like you know effect on it so when they jumped up and down it would make a noise and they would play songs by jumping on trampolines to start the set oh boy and but then they would play as a grind band and they would dress up like gym teachers if it's the same i've looked on the resource it says they're boston based noise core band yeah well from cambridge specifically but yeah um, so maybe it's Harvard or MIT, but they were definitely like, definitely seemed very smart. <laughs> Featured a fifth member playing saxophone. That's always a good sign. So I'm I don't think they had the fifth member when I saw him. But it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, they went on to have a fifth member, Dave. It's very yeah. important. But Chris, as you see, they also uh, have a seven inch on HG Fact. They do. Smell my silly from '96. Yep. Hmm, that's interesting. And they have a split with Melt Banana. Yeah, weird. They, I gotta they, hear this band. That's their scene. That's what I was saying. You will probably dig this band. Well, see, I started off kind of making fun of it, and now I realize, like, hold on, wait, I'd probably like this. Yeah. But that's, I, that sounds I think about you might right. like it. You know? <laughs> anyway, cool. I learned something new. A new band. Another yes. new band. There you go, buddy. Another thing to add to the yeah. thing that never ends. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, and also like at the driving, obviously was pretty, pretty awesome at that show. Not going to, not going to lie about that. Good live band. I only saw them later, but I like the idea that there's a bill, a such bill exists where at the drive-in are like third billing to capitalist casualties. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a funny, like historical thing. <laughs> but at the drive-in, like I got a CD from them and I was there for like, I that was already in my era of like, like. I was there for the power violence. I was there for yeah. the violence, but I like, I thought they were so good that I, I, I bought a CD off them. Yeah. Well, it's so. just, you know, before they were whatever, like before they were the, the juggernaut they became. Yeah. But even then, I think you could see that they, they could be the juggernaut. Oh yeah. Yeah. You I know, like, again, I always assumed that they were always a great live band. Like I said, mm-hmm. I've seen, I saw them at kind of their height and mm-hmm. they were excellent. I'm mm-hmm. not, the records don't do a great deal for me to be honest, but the, uh, they were a great, great band live for sure. Yeah, like I, I I've got to go back and re-listen to all that stuff because um, at the time I remember liking it, you know, and I and I, that wasn't even the type of music I was really a fan of. Yeah, uh, but I remember digging them. I, I didn't like the fact <laughs> I remember watching a live video <laughs> where they like lecture a guy for like twenty minutes for stage diving. <laughs> it's like in, it's like it's like makes Fugazi look like the H one hundreds. As far as like commitment <laughs> to embarrassment, yeah, I, you've told me before. I've never seen it, but uh, they did not have that attitude when I saw them. 
No, was that, was no. that early on, or was like I know it was it was tr- kind of during the height. Like who knows? I mean, it was just a bad day, but it was like one day. I guess you know, and I, I guess like maybe I've never been in like a truly popular band, right? Like so, maybe it changes. Like if you were, you know, if you were in a band and you saw like little kids come out to your shows and they were being like crushed, yeah, you know, like maybe you know. You know, maybe that would be like, oh fuck, I can't do this anymore, and then I would change, and then I'd be like, I don't, I don't, I now I understand, I totally understand what all these people are saying. Yeah, but you've had fleeting moments with that. You've explained one story on the show before. Yeah, like definitely, there's like moments like that, that you see that kind of stuff, and where you know, and I guess it's like situation by situation basis. From the video, it did not look like this required a twenty minute <laughs> lecture, but maybe it looked different from the stage. Fair enough. <laughs> I'll take I'll take your word, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I do wrong. not plan to watch it's it. It's been a long time. Serious. I was I a lot more of a dick when I watched that video the first time. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, so we should move on to, <laughs> yeah, to yeah. the show. Uh, yeah. We're going to bring back the mailbag this week, and we're going to do uh, some of it. As, as you've heard by now, there's a mailbag episode, and we're going to be doing more of that. But we also want to work the mailbag into the show. We love your mail. Please send us in mail. Not saying don't send in mail, but Chris and I have a tendency. Okay. Sorry, Chris. I have a tendency <laughs> to run on with some of these emails and it tends to eat up most of the show. So by the time we get to the actual crux of the show, which are the footnotes, Chris and I are very tired and very low energy. And so <laughs> we're going to limit the mailbag and try and limit my, uh, uh, you know, and, and occasionally Chris's uh, tendency to go off on tangents. <laughs> My tangents tend to be points of the show, I find. Yeah, well, I, once in a while, Chris, on these mailbags. But no, I, I freely admit that I'm the worst for doing it. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to say that. I just mean if I'm going to rant, it's usually some kind of a point about hating some band uh, that gets brought up on the show. That's true. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> you tend to go – you're like – you get like the uh, the angry – you get angry in your rants. Mine tend to be just, you know, <laughs> flights of fancy. Cannabis-induced yes. flights of fancy. Agreed. Yeah. And yours are, yours are uh, rage-induced, hating Led Zeppelin. <laughs> hey, I got positive feedback about that. I'm sure you did. There's a lot of people that are very angry out there, Chris. Well, that's fine. Do you hear my tea pouring in the background? I did. Yeah, it was good. Okay. That's good. I want to – that's helped mellow us both out before the show. So <laughs> – me okay. not ramble. And anyway, uh, I guess we're going to start off with this housekeeping kind of message first. Uh, subject is listening to the pod. Uh, and it was sent to us by the ugly American zine. I got to check out that zine. Um, yeah. Because uh, Ugly Americans is a cool band and also a cool song by Anti Scene. And uh, Ugly American is a cool song by Poison Idea. That's true. That's true. So, just the plural version. That's true. That's true. But I think when uh, – and also when anti-scene do it, they're kind of doing it like, hey, yay, we're the ugly Americans. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a response. Yeah, but it's also kind of because they're the bad guys condemning yeah. the ugly Americans too. It's a, yep. it's a, they're a complicated band as we've talked about on the show before. <laughs> hey, I'm listening to this and it's the episode with Mr. Gerard Cosloy part two. How can you listen to it without having to sit in front of your computer for an hour and a half? I'm driving all the time, and there's no way I can do that. What am I missing here? Uh, well, uh, 
uh, ugly Americans, we unfortunately, well, unfortunately, I don't really understand how you download it if you don't have a iOS system that uses iTunes. If you have an iOS system that uses iTunes, of course, you can download it over that. I think there is a way to do it, right, though, Chris? Like, were you? I'm, uh, I'm just trying to go to it now. I've never, I don't listen to it that way myself because I use iTunes, but um, I'll see here. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know if it will. Yeah, as a direct download, I, I I'm sure there's a way to do it, but I can't figure it out. There's something like yeah, there's like a mirror site or a way to do it that way. I'm sure you can Google it. Also, though, we are now on Spotify. Um, I know this because I got a free Spotify membership with my email thing. Spotify is not paying me to do this at all. So you know, sign up with whatever streaming service you want. But I was looking for those Punk Forty Five comps. That came out on Soul Jazz a couple of years ago. That yeah. I will give a huge plug to because those comps are fucking incredible. If you don't have all the kill by death comps and you're yeah. looking for like a, a entry point to more obscure punk stuff, you cannot do better than those comps. Yeah. If you just stayed on Soul Jazz, period, you'd probably mm-hmm. be, have a great ear for music mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, certainly a, like a, a label – even like they used to put up those 100% dynamite comps, right? 200% dynamites, 400%, those like crazy mixes of like reggae and they have soul music on it. They've always just done great, great comps like that look amazing too, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so top rated label. Yeah. Anyway, so I was searching for that on Spotify and turned out a punk came up. And so we are also on Spotify. So if you use Spotify, you can hear this show. You can also, and I don't, we haven't done this yet, but I think we're going to put it up on YouTube as a way for people to hear it. Yeah, again, though, that doesn't solve this particular user's um, concern. But so the the answer to this ultimately only right now is the streaming service as mentioned, Spotify specifically, and or to use iTunes. Um, If you have an objection to iTunes, I don't think there is a alternative at this point uh as far as like downloading directly into a feed or something i'm not sure um I'll, i can try and look into it and figure it out um but yeah the only things mentioned here are itunes are rss feeds which i don't even know how to use and spotify RSS and we're also on stitcher you can also okay. yeah so you get stitcher an app and if you don't use uh if you don't use itunes stitcher is a way to stream it while you're on the go there you go. But yeah, yeah, those are so those are your best options as far as mobile uh whatever devices using it on mm-hmm. well like traveling or what have you. Mm-hmm. And I used to, I used to use Stitcher for a bunch of podcasts. I haven't a couple of podcasts I listen to uh, aren't, aren't, aren't for some reason on there anymore, but I used to use that for listening to a lot of these podcasts as well. So, you know, once again, not being paid for for them by them for that, so n- not an endorsement, but just check that app out, but Apologize that we don't have a more concise answer for you. Yeah. Speaking of concise answers, we gave a fairly concise answer to this point a couple weeks ago when we were talking about damage and damage two. But <laughs> we received an email from user X Planets Collide X on Instagram in regard, or I, re- I received a direct message. Yes, Damien did. Someone, <laughs> yeah, someone slid into my DMs. <laughs> when people slide in my TMs, it's for this type of stuff. <laughs> or weed. It's definitely this for weed. Uh, but Planets Glide X has sent in, uh, in regards to sequel bands, we came up with Damage and Damage 2 was what prompted the discussion. We realized there was Integrity and Integrity 2000. And we didn't think of any other ones, right, Chris, at that point? Uh, 
Not that I remember, no. Okay, well, um, Planets Collide is sent in and suggested Caius and Caius Lives. Yep. Which is Caius minus uh, Josh Homney, right? That was it? And Nicola Verri maybe or just Josh Homney? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if Caius Lives personally, so this is all you, but yeah. And then there was, and then also there's Jefferson Airplane, which begat Jefferson Starship, <laughs> which begat Starship. Yeah, and I'm sure there are others. <laughs> yeah, and they, and and they suggest that this is not so much like you know Jaws, Jaws Two, as like Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom kind of sequels. Yeah. and and I concur. And to that, I would also raise you Southern Death Cult, Death Cult, and then the Cult. Yeah. Well done. Can you think of any? I cannot. Uh, I'm highly amused that we're getting on the bands we're getting on off of damage, <laughs> to be fair. But uh, I'm trying to think. Wasn't sequel there, bands. Wasn't there like know. a band that's like, it's like two, I'm trying to think of like a Seattle band that's like two bands coming together. Actually, we're, we're not giving, uh, I feel ashamed now, mildly, because I just did think of one. What's that? Uh, Elevator. Elevator, oh yes, elevator through and whatever like incarnations of elevator, but they always had like those changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's the Canadiana one and an epic one. I guess MDC. It's always what? something different, right? It's not always uh, one of multi death yeah, corporations. It's uh, the acronym. Yeah, I don't know if that's sequel related, but yeah, no. I guess I'll, those other ones aren't really either well, in essence. But what determines if a band is a sequel? Or just a name change of a band, or a new band completely. This is true. See, we're we're hashing out a new whole thing right now. You know, and what's a Redux band? Because I would argue that Career Suicide has been a Redux band. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, because it's not the original band, right? As we've established on the show many times. Oh, oh, oh. it's like a whole, whole, whole different people. It's like a whole different yeah. cast. It's like yeah. if you went to see Ghostbusters, and then you saw <laughs> Ghostbusters Two. <laughs> yes. Napalm Death similarly. Yeah, there's a lot of like no OG member bands. Yeah. And that's uh, then they become like Redux bands. Yes. So yeah, that's a whole other topic. Uh feel free to <laughs> email us with those. And if you have one original member, is it a Redux band or is it something <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Think of the no the no original members though. That those are the interesting ones. I know. Like, I'm pretty sure Napalm Death is zero, right? It's no no Yeah, original no original members. members from the very first lineup. But it's like it has like obviously members from like key lineup. Yeah. The key lineup yeah. is there. But like but yeah, like and, and Career Suicide, yeah, no members from the key and original lineup. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows about that famous Career Suicide first lineup. Mark Pesci, yeah, like- Noah Gadke, Eric. Oh, you do. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you who was in the first lineup. Yeah, now they think about it, really. They only played that one show. Ah, okay. The USV show. That was it. Anyway, should we move on, Chris, or do you want me to still talk about Chris Suicide yeah, yeah. and the injustice that's done to the first lineup? <laughs> <laughs> they, have a new, they have a new record out, by the way, which people should go buy called Machine Response on Deranged Records. Yes, they anyway. definitely should. That band, I'm, I'm joking, but they are like right before this. Now I'm being serious. They are like one of the best bands and like, you know, one of the rare bands, I think, in that genre specifically that they work in that actually kind of tries to progress what they're doing on every release. Yes. 
and it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't get like, oh, this band is too aspirational. Oh, is that a shot of my band now, Chris? No, it actually wasn't. It does, <laughs> Just it, kidding. It, now that you say that, though, it does fit the bill. Oh, oh well, there we go. Let's move on before the fight starts. <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. But anyway. No, I know. I don't care. I don't care. You've already you dug know your own grave. You know You've I'm dug your own grave ride. with this one, Chris. You've dug your own grave. I'm on the whole ride. You know I'm on the whole ride. <laughs> no, it was I fucked know. up. I know, buddy. Don't worry. Okay. Podcast question. Do you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. Um, Andrew writes in, uh, new podcast fan from Philly, um, and he mentions that he couldn't make it up to the Philly show. Uh, he just started listening recently. Uh, I had an odd question that you don't have to answer, but just started bugging me when I thought about it. Is your son Holden from The Best Show? If so, kudos to you. That kid's a legendary caller. My son is six. I don't think he'd have anywhere near the, that phone presence. I'm assuming since I don't have children, this is a message for you, Damien. Yeah, well, it'd be, it'd be even more shocking if you had a son named Holden who did call him the best show. And yet I still was the one that turned you on to the show. <laughs> yes. Um, I think, uh, no, that is not my son, first of all. Uh, I think that kid Holden on the best show, yeah, I'm shocked. You know, Holden, my seven-year-old i don't think still has that phone presence you know i don't think kids talk on the phone that much anymore like when does kids when do kids have experience like chatting on the phone i don't know good question like when i don't talk on the phone anymore except to you yeah i'm the only i'm like people hate it when i call them and i call people all the time (laughs) you do it's how this started it is it is i like to chat on the phone and no yep. one likes to do it, but Chris was just the unfortunate bastard that picked up that fucking call <laughs> and stayed there and listened to me ramble and ramble. And then finally he's like, let's just make this a podcast. I'm like, okay, Chris. <laughs> that's, how, that's, how, that's the origin story. <laughs> I'll let you take that, but uh, that is highly inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, no, that is not. But I, I used to – I called him the best show – Three times in my life, four times. Um, Do they like? Were you calling it unprompted? Because I believe I yep. listened once, and you were like, they inter- he interviewed you for something. I thought right. Well, one time he was in Toronto, and he came over to my friend Zach Felberg's house, and we recorded an episode in Zach's living room. Like Tom was in Toronto. Okay. And we recorded like just like a whole episode, like turned out a punk style, like on my setup and everything. Oh, okay. And, I, and then I mailed it to him. Um, but like, no, I've never actually even been to the studio and I've only called like four times. I waited so long before I called and because I was just like, I didn't want to get gone. I don't want to get hung <laughs> up on. I don't want to get like mocked. So I, I just like waited and then I met Tom and then I called in after I met him. I mean, I've called in more than maybe I've called in like a dozen times over the years. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the, the, the worst t- call. My worst call was uh, one time I'm sitting at home. I think it was during like a funding drive when they used to do the funding drive when they were still on WFMU. And uh, I, I called in. I made a donation. And then Tom was going through who people had donated. He mentioned my name. And then Aziz Ansari was there from, you know, Parks and Rec and like, yep. you know, fame. And uh, he, he taught, like Tom's like, oh, Master of None. Yeah, Master of None and like, you know, like Human Giant. And all human stuff. Giant, yep. And uh, he was there hanging out, and Tom's like, oh, do you know Damien from the band Fucked Up? And he goes, no, I've never met Damien. And I was like, but I like <laughs> the band. And I'm like, I'm like, what? That's not true. Because I remembered it, you know, and I was high, 
And this was very early into my experience with cannabis, so I wasn't as seasoned as I am now. Certainly in no position to hold down a podcast while smoking copious amounts of cannabis back then. So I decided that I should call the best show and correct uh, Aziz that we had met before at South by Southwest when he tried to get into a party and couldn't get into the party. And uh, <laughs> and I got him in. So I called up, but I was trying to whisper because Lauren was sleeping in the other room with Holden. <laughs> right? So – it came out like, hey, Aziz, it's Damien <laughs> from Effed Up. We have met before. We met at South By. You couldn't get into that vice party. And I helped you get in, remember? Yeah, so it went over well. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, 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 I remember. And I hung up, and that was, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Well, that party was amazing. Like, you couldn't get in, so I got them in. I came back to the dressing room, and it was like us. The the Jay Riotard was playing. I can't even remember. Maybe one other band? I don't, I don't even remember. And that was also the night that I smashed the, the fluorescent light bulb tube on my head, and all the glass bounced off my head and shot into Mike's face <laughs> behind me. Our guitar playing Mike from Fucked Up. Um, so it was, a, it was a disaster all around. But I came back. Uh, this is before the light bulb tube had happened and came to the dressing room and I'm like, Hey, the guys from human giant are here. And Jay is like, Oh, those guys owe me money for a sink. I'm going to go talk to him about it and get that money from them. Now I'm like, <laughs> I don't think they're the ones that pay you, dude. <laughs> like, I don't think they're, they're the ones cutting the actual checks for that stuff. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but no, that's not my Holden that calls in the best show. <laughs> nice. <laughs> next uh, message, my friend. Next message. Uh, Lars part two. I'm more like Damien in that I'm a huge Rancid fan. No four, five people have been the soundtrack of the last 20 plus years of my life like those guys. So a few random thoughts. Chris said he thought and outcome the wolves was their London calling. I think that's fitting. I think you can continue that and say that life won't wait is their Sandinista. A lot of the songs in a, a very wide variety of styles that a lot of the people didn't dig, but some fans like me have some favorite songs on there. Yeah. Look, I guess that's, I, I, should we take this point by point? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, yeah, like life won't wait was the record that, uh, it wasn't the record that I was like as much into, but it certainly, I think like advances the style that an outcome the wolves was going towards. Yes, agreed. Uh, I would. I also dis. I agree. Well, obviously, he agrees with me on the London calling out. Come the wolves. I think yeah. that's undeniable. Yeah. But um, life won't wait for me. Isn't quite San Anista. Yeah. I think that's more like combat rock. If you're using a clash, um, whatever analogy, um, because it's uh, I although it does have San Anista moments in that it's really aspirational and almost like to a detriment. But um, uh, I think it's more combat rock because for me, it's not. Uh, it's palatable. It's not like Sandinista, which is whatever, three LPs of like, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's a much more listenable record. To, yes, totally. To uh, Sandinista. Like, yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever sat down and listened, honestly, listened to Sandinista front to back in one listen ever. Well, um, we should whereas, do like a live stream on Facebook of you and me trying to make it through all of Sandinista. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Well, for you, it'd be horror. <laughs> I, I could do it with a friend. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. You go through and talk about the songs as they come up. 
Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the he's not far off in my opinion with this analogy here, but uh, I still would say Life Won't Wait is not quite as uh, whatever epic, so to speak. Um, yeah. So that's my take. Yeah. Um, next point. Uh, I think post two rancid two thousand rancid uh rancid proper combined with all their side projects is kind of fascinating. It's like an extension of a huge variety of styles on Life Won't Wait. But save just for rancid releases, their traditional pop punk meets street punk with a dash of ska formula from their Let's Go and Outcome of Wolves era. Meanwhile, Tim's hip-hop tendencies went to the transplants. His pop stuff went to making a pink record and his ska reggae to the solo albums. Or solo album. All the folk singer-songwriter tendencies to Tim Timebomb. Large straight-up street punk oi stuff went to the Bastards and the old firm Casuals. Matt's psychobilly stuff went to Devil's Brigade. It's just been interesting to see how they found a way to keep the band going uh, down its lane into its third decade while getting to flex their creative muscles in all their side projects. Yeah, like I, I think that's an amazing take on it because that's very true that that is the record where it's almost like the tipping point. Like they tried to fit too much into the stew with Life Won't yeah. Wait and then they yeah. realized like we can just do this. Uh, you know, I think – you know, we talked about this in the Lars episode. They, it's like there's few – like few uh, songwriting groups that have churned out as many songs as quickly as that band. Yeah, agreed. I, I think this takes spot on, though. The idea mm-hmm. of compartmentalizing mm-hmm. all of these weird little differences of the the tastes of the members, I think that's spot on. Um, and I think you're, you're right, because if you look at the records, as best I know them, from that era forward, they don't ever again do the life won't wait thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they – I would love to see them do it again now. You know, like I know that would be like, – like, why? <laughs> but like it'd be kind of cool to see them do that now because they, they've all kind of had more, much more experience in all these fields than they had when they were doing Life Won't Wait. Yeah. See, I have like – I agree with this take, this take on it. But I would say my trajectory with Rancid was sort of ended by this point um, as a listener. Um, so – Life Won't Wait, I thought, was at least interesting in that it wasn't just your atypical kind of record or whatever. So when Rancid 2000 came out, like, I wasn't having it at all. So I thought it was, like, steps backwards. Now, looking at it in hindsight and with this analysis, like, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was just like, uh, oh, it's all black again and, like, a photocopy look. And, like, I was just like – and it's, you know, if you're looking at it compared to other, like, whatever DIY punk stuff, just wasn't in the same whatever – uh, what the word is authenticity dare I say so I, I just thought it was a bit of a bit of a stretch to believe that they would go back to being the band they were before kind of thing but yeah. well like I know but look look at what everyone else from that class kind of went to you know like disgusting specifically like the other three the other two I guess would be Green Day and Offspring you know, like the big story. Sure. Yeah. Or yeah. bad religion, arguably, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bad religion, but even like, but bad religion is kind of different. Like, I don't think they ever had the same, you never, I don't think they had the same opportunities. They went for it and didn't, it didn't happen. Gotcha. Yeah. Fair enough. You know, like they, like, like it happened. They're huge. They've influenced everyone. Yeah. You know, and I'm not talking shit on them when I say that, but like, you know, it wasn't like they became – like they signed to the major label. They they made that heavy rotation video and it got pretty good rotation. But it yeah. didn't like – it didn't become uh, Offspring, Green Day 
And I think Rancid could have been arguably bigger if they had made that jump. Yeah, so your point is if you look at them comparatively to what the other bands had done, they look a lot more tasteful, so to speak, as far as their career trajectory. I, would, just, I think it's interesting. I, well, we talked about this before, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a more interesting. Like at the time that they're doing Life Won't Wait, is that the same time that they're doing like keep uh, – no, uh, Pretty Fly for a White Guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like Offspring is like, you know, all due respect, but that's a write-off at that point, like completely. And then like um, Green Day, what at that point, I don't even know. Was Nimrod or one of those records, yeah. which, you know, I don't know. For me, yeah, they did like those other two bands became certified pop bands, like period. Whereas Rancid, at least I will, are yeah, you're right in the sense that they retained their identity as the sonic template of what they were and their identity as a band, so to speak. And also, like, no one in those bands, now that I'm thinking about it, has gone – like, you know, there's that, that Fox Trot Hot Tubs. What, I can't remember what it's called. The Green Day side project thing. Yeah, the I know what you're talking about. Yeah, You know, that thing. And then there's, like, Billy Joe Armstrong played in uh, Pinhead Gunpowder and Mike Durant played in Screeching Weasel. Yeah. Like, early, early on. Yeah. But it's not like they have like, you know, like a, a Bastards or Old Firm Casuals or or like, you know, writing songs with Pink or – No, no. I agree. There's no transplants. debate. That, yeah. The songwriting uh, prowess and whatever aptitude is, is fully with Rancid comparatively. No mm-hmm. argument there. Because even the stuff like I don't like a lot of these groups or side projects, but at least I would give – I would never say that they're not good for what they are. It's just not my world personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I guess final point – or no, no there's a couple more points. Before you got to talking about no effects jorts while you were discussing the big groups of the time, I was thinking about the difference between Rancid fans and no effects fans at shows at the time. My thoughts are Fancid fans might have been done up with leather and spikes and mohawks or rude boy suits and no effects fans were guys showing up in shorts. Um, I, Maybe – I don't know where – are you from New Orleans? Maybe in New Orleans it was like that. In Toronto, it was the same, you yeah. know, snowboarder. Like, charged punks were not in a rancid. You'd have charged punks there, the same way you'd have charged punks at a no effects show, but they wouldn't be the, the same, like, they wouldn't be the same kids that would be at the. No. I can't even think what a charged punk band that was coming to Toronto at the time. That was coming like, to? I don't know. Maybe first OG era of like, at, um, uh, Total Chaos. Anti-Flag or Total Chaos. Or- <laughs> well, Anti-Flag, the first time they came, OG lineup era, it was like – it was with DBS and Falling Sickness. Yeah, yeah. The, so the there tour was like, wasn't, but I still think they had that following though. Yeah, but not, not necessarily in Toronto, but you're, but you're probably right in other yeah. places. But like, yeah, like I can't think of too many bands that would have had – I guess it would have had people in Root Boy suits, especially probably towards, you know, Life Won't Wait kind of era. I remember being at a school dance and it was like <laughs> a much music video dance. Oh. And like you'd just be sitting around, it'd just be so brutal, like all the stuff they'd be playing. <laughs> and then they'd get to that point where they play Time Bomb. Oh. And I remember just seeing this but like that was like Chris, by the by that point in the night. No, no, the, I get what you mean. Like, I'm just I'm that, not that'd be I'm like not we gotta know. If we gotta know dropped, you know? I'm yucking the I'm yucking what you're describing yeah. in large, not the song. So. No, no. And then but I remember this kid skanking like so hard to it. And then high-fiving the video DJ. <laughs> so to explain, people don't know what the hell we're probably talking about. There was this thing where they would bring, like it was, much music would bring uh, whatever, you could hire it out. Yeah. They would bring a huge video screen to like. 
It was whatever. actually I found out when I started working at Munch Music. Apparently, it was a separate company that just okay. bought the rights to say they were Munch Music dance parties. Ah, okay, or something. But anyway, go on. Yeah, it was just like a, it would be like a like a, a lame karaoke idea or something where it's just like someone setting up or like a lame trivia theme night. But it would just be like a huge screen and they would just show like whatever the top videos were of the the year or years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, yeah, it was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was always at like high school kind of dance vibes. Like yeah, it was, it was always a high school dance. Like I like yeah. no adult would go no, and see that. No, like, oh, no. I have to go to this. Like now, I think people would probably go to that. It was just really, really cheesy. So to even even you saying that, I like the fact that I yeah, it's just a weird phenomenon. I can't imagine that now. Yeah, well, like back then, cool people weren't into popular stuff. <laughs> True. Like, now they are, right? So I think it was like even more lame then than yeah. it would be now. Like now, yeah. if you had a popular, like if you had that now, like you're like, yeah, we're gonna have this video dance night. So we're gonna play the most popular songs. Off like much music, and it'd be like, yeah. oh, so it's gonna play like Justin Bieber, uh, like this, uh, you know, Diplo thing, and <laughs> uh, it's gonna play uh, The Weekend, and it's gonna play Drake. It's like, yeah. you know, most people would be fucking losing their shit now, but back then it was like, okay, it's gonna play Our Lady Peace, <laughs> it was and so a tea party. <laughs> I just it was just the screen that they brought out. It's hard yeah, to explain. The it was, was like brutal. it was big enough, but it was still kind of small enough where it was totally cheesy. Like I don't even know how. Big well, then they show was. the kids, like the kids that were there from like your high school dancing, and they'd be like looking in the camera, like ah. Oh. Yeah, it was really, really awful and <laughs> embarrassing. But yeah, that's I don't know how we got there from no other point. Speaking <laughs> okay. of Canada, the last hot part. take to make Canadians mad at me. I never got into propaganda. Well. Because you're wrong. Because of all those early punk or survival of the fattest comps, they just sounded to me like no effects without the jokes. I can go back now and appreciate what they were doing, but I still haven't figured out how to get past the initial reaction. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I, like, uh, I listen to Propagandi still in a way that uh, I don't know if I can listen to all the other bands on survival of the fattest. Some of them I can. You I know think what I really, sorry, go on. The, sorry, the answer to this, though, is just listen to the I Spy 10-inch. Mm-hmm. Like even if like just negate everything else and you'll get to it eventually, but like just listen to the split with with I Spy. No, the there's tenet. no way you listen to the split with I Spy and you don't come out thinking I Spy is the better of the two bands. No, but regardless, the song, the propaganda songs on that are like really strong. I find and the I recording can't... isn't too slick. And yeah, I'm talking because they did a seven inch split, did they not as well? I know the ten inch is the one. It's ten inch. I I like I love the propaganda songs on it, but to me, I think. If you like more rock, less talk is like a perfect, and even today's Empire's Tomorrow of Ashes, which is the time I wasn't that into, but I've gone back and just been like, fuck, this is kind of like perfect. Yeah, I just, I've, we've disagreed about this before, but, uh, but the, I, I'm just talking about it from a, like a, a fidelity perspective, if you will. I think mm-hmm. if you're hearing that, I'd rather be flag burning. I do agree, the Ice Spy stuff is super strong. So it's oh, a yeah. weird comparison. But I just think hearing those versions of the Propiani songs in that light takes away that whole like whatever, no effects y thing. But yeah, I'm with you. Let's talk more rock is the record if you need to get into that band, in my opinion. Um yeah, like I, I you know what else all I listened to today? The decline. <laughs> I don't know when the last time you listened to that song, Chris. <clears throat> well, I've never it wasn't my thing even when it came out. Dude, really, but yeah. The lyrics in that song yeah. like hit so hard today 
And they're hitting harder them. today than they did when that song came out, I would, I would argue. Well, it's because they were writing more dystopian themes in like Bush's America. Now look at it. But it's, yeah, it, but, yeah, but it's, I think the things that they were hitting on in that song are like really interesting points. And I think like, you know, we were, I was talking about this with Lauren, uh, my wife in the car as we were listening to the song and I was subjecting my kids to an 18 minute no effect song. Uh, <laughs> They were subjected me to 20 minutes of Weird Al before that. So, you know, payback is payback. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was like saying, I'm like, it's, it's amazing. Like, this is like no effects hitting like a, like such a high point. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. Like, it almost like, it's just like all the height of all the powers of that band in that song. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just a, uh, I would say no, that. I agree. I, <laughs> I don't know why. Once again, I'm going to no effects from this, other than we're talking about no effects without the jokes. But I love no effects without the jokes. I guess what I'm getting at. I think no effects without yeah. the jokes. I think the jokes are what kind of ruins some of it for me. You're talking in the no effects sense <laughs> or the propaganda sense? No, the no effects sense. Like I like yeah. when you know some of the stuff that Fat Mike's finds funny. Gotcha. I, I don't at all. And gotcha. I like it when that some of that humor is kind of gone, like in the yeah, yeah, I gotcha. No, no, I understand. I think it's their most whatever, uh, whatever mature release, if you will. (laughs) It's amazing (laughs) saying that about no effects. (laughs) Um, But and I like low effects. I'll yeah, same here. Ribbed, ribbed is my favorite no effects record. But um, so to that's when the metal comes in. I think with that band. It could be, but I just mean that for me, that was the one or that is the one. Um, but uh, Maybe S&M Airlines, sorry, S&M Airlines, definitely. Yeah, that one's a little more, I think, whatever, metal tinged. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I don't know what points we're talking to here. I feel like I'm just ranting. I guess, I, I guess that's why maybe I like Propagandi so much and why you maybe like Pro- Propagandi so much because it's like no effects without the jokes. And like, and then maybe no effects, my favorite no effects stuff is like when it's no effects without the jokes. Well, I think for me, it's like, it's clearly at the time period, especially it was like what they were saying was so like profoundly impactful. Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's the, the, you know, the, what lingers with that band with me is how much of an impact they had because of their sort of stances. So I never, uh, again, like without the jokes was fine by me because I felt like what they were doing and arguably still are doing is, is important. So that was my take. Um, it did have a sense of humor to it. Like it wasn't like oh, it Earth did. Crisis, which was kind yeah. of saying the same sort of stuff. Like not all the same issues, obviously. Yeah. But like in a in a much more, you know, Carl yelling it at you kind of way. Well, no, I agree. Like I, I think you know to to bring up another point, sort of in relation. I think why the first propaganda LP fails is because it is too silly. Yeah. You know what I mean? As opposed to the other things. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say there aren't good songs on that record. There are. But, you know, like it's really – it's way too clowny now, especially in hindsight. Like I can't even li- like listen to that record at all. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. That's my take on uh, that era of propaganda versus no effects or whatever. All right. Well, that is a uh, great email. Thank you so much for sending that in, Chris, um, because, you know – I love to talk about the pop punk in the, in the era <laughs> of the yeah. of the punk. So, but now we got to talk about uh, another thing entirely, and yep. we got and we're going to hit on a lot of different, not just punk. And then when we talk about this guy, we're going to talk now about the Bob Bruno episode 
of Turned Out a Punk. Uh, Bob is someone who, I guess, like, I obviously had seen him with Best Coast, didn't really, know, like, knew him to say hello, didn't know that much about him. Um, my cousin, Garland, who used to play in the band No Joy, went on tour uh, with them, like, No Joy went on tour with Best Coast, and he came back from that tour, and he's like, Bob is awesome. Like, he's like Beth is awesome, too. Everyone in the band, with I think Allie was awesome, drummer at the time. Everyone was cool, but, like, he was like, Bob, like, loves wrestling, you know, and he's into punks <laughs> and all this stuff, and my cousin's... Notice, notice what you said first there. Yeah, well, on. obviously, Chris. What podcast did he make his debut on? <laughs> Clobbering time. <laughs> yeah. He didn't make his debut on the Turn Out of Punk. You know, you lead with wrestling. Anytime you meet someone who's into wrestling... It seems like a rarer beast. Fair. Yeah, yeah. Especially if they're into wrestling and also into cool music. So anyway, <laughs> he's into all this kind of cool stuff. And he's a, uh, uh, yeah, just like a, a really nice guy. And then I uh, have subsequently become friends with him and really wanted him to come on the show and had him come on the clobbering time first. And then at that time was like, we got to do Turned Out of Punk. So came time to do the Turned Out of Punk. Here is the Turned Out of Punk. Chris, do you want yeah, to do the first point? Yes. Um, there you, many, to, you can the, talk general thoughts too. I didn't mean to force you into – No, no, no. That's cool. Away. Like like my general thoughts, first of all, I just think because it's uh, such a crazy story. Told a lot of great show-going stories, mm-hmm. which was one of my – the highlights for me of this episode for people that are into any of these kind of weird scenes or whatever. But particularly the, the Dickies during the LA riots <laughs> is kind of the most insane – thought in my head about the idea that you kind of think something's going on in the city and you're just like, oh, I'm still going to go to the show anyway. Why not? I just yeah. thought that was uh, pretty insane. I went to see Dinosaur Jr. at Massey Hall the night of the Toronto Halloween riots, okay. which happened on Yonge Street uh, years and years ago. And they were nowhere <laughs> no <laughs> riot by no one else's definition, but the Toronto me- media's definition at the time. And I remember my parents picking me up afterwards and being like, oh, my gosh, like this is so fucking scary. But, uh, yeah, once again, it was not the L.A. riots. <laughs> no. Um, but hearing that story, I just thought that's crazy. I didn't even think – like I don't think I've ever braved like some kind of crazy social event or something to go to a, go to a gig that I can think of anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I'm trying to think. There were gigs going on during the garbage strike that was at, at Planet Kensington, which was beside a fishmonger's. Yeah. So it was not pleasant, but uh, I don't think it once again it qualifies as playing, going to a show during a riot. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if my passion for music is ever enough where I'm like, yeah, let's brave this. I definitely snowstorms, you know? Yeah, yeah. I just mean, though, like the idea that he remembered the, the gig and that it was yeah. such a profound thing is wild. And of all the bands, the Dickies to be playing is just kind of interesting, too. It's like not not that I thought like a politically charged band would be playing or whatever, but just that idea of that just happens to be the band playing that night. is just such a funny, weird uh, coincidence or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, like it, it's like talking about a goofy band. Yeah. And to be like, all right, everyone, like. Here's this <laughs> zany cover, you know, hyped up version yep. of Knights in White Satin, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then you leave and the city is burning, literally. <laughs> yeah, it's burning all around you. And, and it's also like, I guess, like, I, I should have asked him. This is my failure as a journalist to not follow up on this. <laughs> but, like, he said he got in there just before they started 
you know, closing it off from people getting yeah. downtown. What was yeah. it like leaving? And what was the story yeah, like when a, you rolled up? <laughs> that's exactly what I thought too. Cause I thought, well, if they're closed, like, how are you getting back? Like yeah. what, you know, like I've, you know, you and I have been to LA enough to know that it's a pain to drive in anyway. Yeah. But like in those circumstances, like what, I don't know, just seems crazy to me, but um, I don't know if anybody else would have clear recollections of why that wouldn't be a big deal in hindsight. But, but I just thought that was kind of wild. It's like, yeah, you can get in, but how are you getting out? <laughs> you know, like, and uh, yeah, anyway. And crazy. also, like, I think it's awesome because, like, Bob says he went to there to see this band yesterday's tier, which was a band he was, like, really obsessed with for a while. It's awesome. Like, there's a lot of bands that he just gets super into. You know, yeah. it just like becomes like a, almost about like not like a fan thing so much, but just like a complete absorption and, and appreciation of this band. Yeah, I, I, I the thing I vibe with the most in this interview is that he's just such like a fan of whatever. Yeah. And there's no seemingly no pretension to anything he likes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you go through the things he drops in the episode – you know, it's hitting on so many different things, and none of them are necessarily related, other than that they weren't popular, really. Yeah, um, except so, for the Spice Girls. That's the only thing he says that oh, he Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. But, but even like, that's kind of interesting, because now yeah. that's something that, of course, like, that phenomena existed, but it's it's such, like, a far-gone phenomena, really, mm-hmm. that, like, I don't think people remember the hysteria around. Like, I mean, people like you and I do, but young people, I don't think, kind of comprehend that like the Spice Girls were as big as like Drake and like all this other stuff. Yeah. And maybe in Britain they would, but here certainly not. So just, but, and again, I don't remember like. Well, maybe in Toronto because our mayor did write Jerry a letter saying, please <laughs> rejoin this band. <laughs> Which, I don't know. One of, and, to, and to think that that wasn't a mayor's worst moment in Toronto either, by the way. <laughs> well, that, that wasn't even that mayor's worst moment. I and know, that mayor's I mean. not even the worst mayor. <laughs> like, I know that's that's what I'm talking about. Oh People my want to Google Toronto mayors. Go ahead. Yeah. Start with Lastman and work your way up. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I would. I would say that like I'm sure there's even ones before our time that you know. Well, oh, yeah. what was it? Barbara Hall or is it June Roland? Barbara Hall that banned the bare naked ladies from playing downtown. There was a lot of that though, like because even your mayor aside, I remember they had bands in my area. Like they didn't, they weren't able to play like high schools and stuff when, yeah. that, when they were blowing up, which is such a funny thing in hindsight. Yeah. Because they became a Canadian institution, but people were so uptight at the time about the name. I think people um, now, if they came out to be there, would be pretty bummed out about the name and pretty upset. I guess, but it just seemed like there's such a, like a, like as a band, it's like yeah, it's no. not anything. Like it's not remotely edgy, really. No. You know, nope. so it's just kind of funny. Eh, whatever. Though but, um, we did confirm. That at one point there was talk of them putting out a record with Simon Harvey, um, with a split with a death metal band. So there was something slightly edgy about the Bare Naked Ladies. Really? Like what? Like early, early? Yeah, on? We talked about this one time on footnotes. I said I confirmed it because I in, I talked to the bass player when I was on Q one time. Oh. And, and the bass player was there, and I I was like, hey, um, is it true that years ago? Uh, when with the Bare Naked Ladies that you guys were going to potentially do a split with a death metal band from Montreal and he's like and he's like yeah blah 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 he's saying the band's name which I of course I like it on right now I'm like yeah like this guy Simon Harvey I think went to high school with you and he was going to put it out he said and he's like yeah yeah I think that's that's pretty yeah I remember that I remember all that like, going on wow so I don't remember you telling 
story before, but that's crazy. Yeah, it's a weird one. That is definitely – that could have been one of the weirdest Canadian records ever. <laughs> Very true, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so do you want to take the first point now or was that your oh, first point? Oh, whatever, yeah. You go on one. I did the uh, Riots one. You, you take one. I guess I want to talk a little bit about um, the uh, – Mystic Records, which comes out. <laughs> yep. The and the Mystic – Well, and we haven't done this in a long time, Chris, but we should call up the resource and head on over to the old Discogs and check yep. up Mystic Records. And I just want to look and see these these uh, value packs that Mystic put out because I, to me, they are <laughs> one of the coolest record things ever. But, uh, you know, kind of shitty too if you, you know, if you own the seven inch and just want the LP and have to rebuy the seven inch and whatnot. But Mystic Records Discogs page, I just figured would look amazing. And I just kind of wanted us to look at that for a second. Yeah, it's great. I'm, uh, I'm perusing it right now. Um, I don't remember. So the value packs he was talking about were, those were uh, way later, right? Yeah, but it was, uh, I'm trying to see if I wrote it down. This is crazy, like to go through it and look. Who came where in uh, in like the history of this? Like the mentors, no, I guess it's like Vox Pop. What's the first punk record on here? Right. Um. Well, if years are to be decided, I haven't heard some of these early ones to know if they're punk or not. But um, are the Sharks punk? Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know. Like that's. I don't know these first ones. I don't, I mean, I don't think they Pop, are. Vox Pop being 82 seems like a starting point for the punk stuff, but I don't know if like the point or the sharks or. Well, this band apparently Ryan. was the sharks and they became the shark islands, I guess. I don't know. Um, but no, but I think like when did they become a hardcore label, I think is probably a better way to put it. Yeah. Which yeah. I, you know, Vox Pop did that 12 inch on there, which you don't see that thing very often at all. No, I've never come across it. Even on the show, I wasn't familiar. You, I've looked into since. It's great. Yeah, there's Don um, Piles Wiener. <laughs> yeah, it's got a, the cover is wild. It's called The Band, The Myth, The Volume, 12 Inch, from 82 on Mystic Records, Vox Pop. It's uh, really good, actually. Um, yeah, Vox Pop's an incredible band. But then The Mentors, yep. right there, right after that, which oh. I guess would probably be the first hardcore record on there. Like not being 100% familiar with the point in the here's story. Here's my Power Pop note. curiosity as someone who was not uh, of an age where I could make sense of this stuff in 82 yeah. yet. But um, so the mentor is kind of like I would term as shock rock. Yep. Um, were they a shock rock band yet? Like did people know of them as that you think or is it something that they gained the reputation of as they went on? Uh, I think they, I think people knew it right away. Yeah. It seems like, yeah. Like I think people like knew, but like he was like actually kind of sketchy legit. Yes. So the history books say, yeah. So to speak, or not even whatever personal accounts even yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. You look at 80 by 83, they're releasing that battalion of saints second coming single, which is incredible. So, and there's, you know, ill repute before that. So 82, 83 seems like 80. I don't know this. I haven't heard this other power trip. This is this, fucking awesome. It's described as punk. So is it like hardcore punk or? Yeah, I would say it's more like, like kind of like hard rock meets punk. It's okay. an amazing single. 
It cool. is an awesome – like I really do love this band. So Slab Animal from 1982 is the single we're talking about. Yeah. And it's not the not to be confused with the Power Trip of today. No. Uh, also excellent though. And that Deprogrammer uh, LP, I, I've never heard the, the LP, but the 7-inch is fantastic. Cool. So it seems like, yeah, I, I don't think it's a far stretch to say about 82, it seems. Yeah, 82 was, it becomes uh, like a hardcore label. And then there's, of course, the uh, notorious Aryan Disgrace 7-inch. Uh, yeah. Um, Which is still hugely expensive. Yeah, like that has become ungodly expensive for that record. Oh, no, it's actually gone down a little bit in price, but still pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, There's like so many different versions of that record, too. There's an incredible article on – oh, my God, no. There's – okay. Yeah, if you go actually click on the records that are for sale of the Aryan Disgrace 7-inch – it is still a ridiculously expensive record. The one that's pretty cheap is got no sleeve. Yeah. Um, but there's actually like different versions. Like some are censored. Like I guess they Uh-oh. were hoping to get record play, airplay with it. So there's actually like a censored <laughs> version. If you go over and there's like, of course, on the resource, um, the articles are lacking compared to things like this. But if you go to uh, breakmyface.com, I don't know if you've ever yeah. gone to this website. I'm familiar with it. I don't really visit it that often. This, but, yeah. Everyone, if you have not gone to this website, this is the punk resource. Like this is where you go. But he has this other website. If you go to the links page, I think it's still here. Oh, no. It's not, it's not there anymore. Is it? It was called like It Never Ends or something? Yeah. Jeez, is that still here? No. Where is that? I know. I remember telling Did we go to that today. before? Not on the not on this show, at least. I mean, anyway, personally, I've discussed this with you, but yeah. Anyway, it never ends is the thing, and he has this whole article about that record in particular, about how there's like <laughs> so many different versions of it, and 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 it's it's there's censored versions and uncensored versions, and anyway, I guess that's the thing with Mystic, right? Like, even you look at this Mentors LP, which he talks about getting the Deuce Pack, which I really wanted the Deuce Pack, and a certain record store in Toronto, the owner. Uh, not the owner, sorry, he's not the owner. A certain person at a record store in Toronto was just impossible about me trying to buy this record off him years ago. <laughs> but trying to buy the Deuce Pack, which you know, like or the or not the Deuce Pack, but the uh, the 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 Value Pack, I should say. And what one are you talking about here? The the one that comes the, with the seven inch. This is the twelve inch and seven inch of Get Up and Die. You're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Okay. And he was just impossible about selling it to me. And then you find out it's like so much later, like 87, like all these mystic records, they press so many different versions of all these records. Well, the good news for you is the uh, median price for this record is not very expensive. So no, and I, I subsequently have gotten a first press. Of course. <laughs> well, no, this is like at a record store. It wasn't like, you know, I didn't no, go I know. searching it out. Um, no, I just mean that Damien conquers all is what I was trying to say there. As far as record collecting pursuits, no, for the no, most part. Chris. There, we you know we've had <laughs> we've had Cooch on this show. You've been to Cooch's house. True, but you can hang. I can't hang, dude. I can't hang <laughs> at all. There are definitely yeah, people that, that I can't hang with in that regard, and he is one of them. Yeah, he he is next level. There's no question. Next oh, level. I would say yeah. him, uh, R.J. from Sexfid. Um, I haven't seen his collection recently, but it used to be just fucking ridiculous. He needed sold a lot of it just so he could have just ridiculous records. Like yeah. deliberately getting record rid of records that he liked just so it would just be nuts, like no matter what record you pulled out. Just like you'd never hit a record <laughs> where you'd be like, oh, 
you got this record. He's like, yeah, I don't know. I like that record. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people, but I think you're downplaying how good your collection is. I, I've said it multiple times. But well, yeah. I appreciate that, Chris, but this is not about my collection. It's about Mystic Records and the amazingness <laughs> yes. that is Mystic Records. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know. I've been, always been fascinated by this label. And yep, Doug Moody to, is, is a, a fascinating figure to me. And oh, anytime that it comes up, we got, we, we got to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Next point, Chris, your point. Okay. Uh, Mystic Excellent. Uh, I think, sadly, I don't own a lot of those records. I do own that Battalion of Saints, which I'm happy to own. I think I might have bought it off you, actually, because I think you had different versions, maybe? No, I don't, I don't think so. Anyway. Well, maybe I had a anyway. second copy at a certain point. I, I... Yeah, something. Um, okay. Uh, points. I wrote down another just random point to sort of diverge off what we were talking about. The idea of like bands with mascots when he's describing the Iron Maiden fascination with Eddie and getting into bands like the whole like metal era. He's talking about Iron Maiden, Motley Crue and Dio and shirts Metallica would wear and stuff like that. But particularly the obsession with Eddie from Iron Maiden, Mm -hmm. the idea that like a band mascot being like a thing to like revere or aspire (laughs) to such a funny bygone thing kind of, I think. Yeah, like I'm trying to think of bands now that have mascots. I don't know. Yeah, maybe like the Hatchet Guy and Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, I think that's more branding than mascot, though. True. You know I mean, like, does the Hatchet Man ever come out on stage and like, do they have a guy dressed like that? I don't know. Well, don't the whole so. the whole fan base dresses like that. I guess, but I mean, I don't know. You know, it's not Eddie, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. I guess there would be like, but Molly Crew, Molly Crew never really had it. That was funny to me when he was talking about Molly because Molly Crew never really had that. No, from my memory, but Iron Maiden certainly. Uh, I guess Iron Maiden's really the only one he mentions. But just the idea of like band mascots, I was thinking there were a lot more that had mascots too. Like there was that uh, the the one that Anthrax had, like that mustache yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, DRI had that guy, that like the DRI thrash guy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> There's like I'm sure there's other ones I'm just blanking on. You know, yeah, metal. That I era of that. Yeah, it's like a metal thing. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so I guess, uh, yeah, like I think I think if I was going to have a band with a mascot now, <laughs> yeah, we'd do it up, dude. Be a sick mascot. I guess I'm kind of the mascot <laughs> of fucked up though. I think you you with your illustrations you create mascots. Well, well, yeah, but that's only for our Bergenfield 4 project. I haven't really been able to do art and fucked up. I'm not allowed. <laughs> sure. But that's not true, though, because you did do it on the back of that comp CD. Did on the comp one. CD because no one wanted to do a CD. So I, was, I took the initiative and did the CD. Well, there you go. So that's why I got to put my art on it. It's like when you do a show and you have a band. You're goddamn right my band's going to play the show if I put it on. <laughs> like why else would you do a show <laughs> I don't know if we're really working off this mascot point well I don't know if you want to no. bring up another point I just thought it was a funny thought when I, was uh, listening. Uh, I wanted to talk about the fact uh, of Danzig opening for Slayer and yep. I guess that you know makes complete sense the more I think about it but at the time that he said it I was just like oh yeah that's right like there's a point where Danzig was kind of like starting up as a band and it's, and it's later, it's like 88, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. That, that it was interesting hearing those pairings, which in, in hindsight, you know, it sounds strange now, but at the time it makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
But I don't think, I mean, I might be off here, but I don't think Slayer, I don't think Danzig has ever been bigger than Slayer, has he? No, I guess maybe now with the Misfits being probably bigger than Slayer. Like if the Misfits were playing yeah. a festival, they would headline over Slayer. But you're right, Slayer's always been like, the bigger really? band. I don't know. Oh, yeah, now? I feel like, I feel the Misfits like they were wouldn't. Playing with Danzig? I know, man. I still think they wouldn't. Dude, they're going to be headlining Coachella this year. They're going to be like they're, they're like the headline. They're going to be headlining every festival they play for the next couple of years. I think. Oh, well, maybe I just that's, hey, no, not headlining Coachella at all like because the they've metal, already announced Coachella. But <laughs> the metal uh, contingent is what I'm talking about. Like, I just yeah. assume Slayer is huge for that world, but I don't know. Slayer maybe is I'm... huge, definitely. That's true. But I think it's like Slayer. I'm just thinking like, you know, if if Slayer had played uh, Riot Fest this year. Where on the bill would they have been? You know? Yeah, I agree with you there, but I don't think that's that's the atypical Slayer audience, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think they're if they're right. like on whatever you know, you know, metal festival of whatever kind, I think Slayer's like like Ozfest if that existed, whatever the hell, something like that. They're like high up. Something tells me there's going to be a number of festivals this summer where you and me are going to be able to to see how this all plays out. Cause I feel like both <laughs> bands are going to be doing a number of festivals. True. Probably a couple together. Yeah. I think, summer. I think I do believe that Slayer has a bit of waning popularity to be fair in 20, whatever, 16, 17. But I think like from probably certainly this Danzig era to the two thousands, I would say, I just there think that moment though where Danzig was huge, right? Like where mother 93 was like heavy rotation MTV, but I guess Slayer was still bigger at that point. Yeah. I, I still think, yeah, like you're, you're correct. It was all bigger, but I still think, I think that that's a perception on our behalf too. Like I think those shows in that era, I think like the larger of the gigs, maybe I'm mistaken here would have been something like him opening for Slayer or something. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't know of any, Again, I'm way off, and I'm hardly the person to ask what well, Danzig. He opened for Metallica. You know, he was playing like giant, you know, huge venues of that shows. Those shows. Okay, fair. Perhaps, perhaps he is. I don't know. Maybe someone could write in and uh, whatever correct what, us accordingly. What was the biggest show Danzig ever played? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's been big ones. I just think oh, yeah, like definitely. like if I'm thinking about weird era Danzig though, like even if you think Danzig and like the like almost like even mid nineties gets real strange. Like in the way that like, whatever, uh, it's almost like Rob zombie. Like, I, know, like I think the thing that blew me away was the fact that it's just Danzig opening, you know, like just yeah. Danzig being like the, yeah, so this is your dressing room. Don't touch, <laughs> this is the headliners beer. Don't touch that. This is your stuff. Um, <laughs> to think of the, uh, yes. To think of the difficult personalities <laughs> in that backstage area. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be a weird backstage. <laughs> like, who's the nicest guy there? <laughs> the, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the usher? The guy cleaning up afterwards? <laughs> uh, uh, I guess uh, yeah, your your point? Yeah, I'm going to go on one. I think uh, I will go with uh, – did you ever get clarity back because I texted you about I this? Didn't. Did he ever- I didn't get he back didn't. to that yet. He's talking about that Japanese noise tour, which, of course, my ears perked up right away. Uh, I'm heavily jealous that he saw Masona at that early uh, era, but um, I couldn't figure out. He said one name, and I couldn't decipher what it was. So I'm, I'm desperate to uh, to hear back. Hopefully, he'll write back. Um, and so now we can probably find out. 
L.A. No, I looked. I looked it up. I couldn't seem to find tour U.S. tour information at all. Really. Really. Yeah, it was weird. Like I, I really kind of just started looking that route, and I didn't really come up with anything. But it was like Masana Salmania, and there was a third one, which he pronounces, but I can't be. I mean, I've always pronounced Hannah Tarash probably incorrectly that way, but it almost sounded like he was saying that. But I, it can't have been that. You know what I mean? They, they must have never come over. I don't know. Like maybe they did that point. Were they, were they like gigging at that? Like what was that been ninety? Something, yeah. By by all accounts, they could have been, but I just think like the boredoms must have already been enough of a thing. Like I just think that was so weird. If that's what that was, I think was. the boredoms were later, weren't they? Like that wasn't. Didn't that? I think like there's. A- I think there's bleed over. We're kind of diverging yeah. from the punk argument here, or whatever topic. But uh, well, I think but, noise, but, the noise stuff. Like there's a uh, you know, and then once again, I'm this is where I'm totally out of my wheelhouse completely. But isn't there like. There's a lot of connection to the hardcore stuff. Uh, here and there. I don't know. Like SOB backed up a bunch of noise artists. Like Yeah, see, like that's where I think stuff. you're going to excel. I don't know the crossover as far as like in Japan who is doing what with whom. But uh Um I'm just trying to find years. It's like the first boredom stuff is like eighty six. So I think Hannah Trash carried on, or however you pronounce it, I'm probably butchering that, but uh, carried on into like the early 90s. But uh, let me see here. And yes, well, some stuff could be posthumous, I suppose. But well, yeah, like, long- it would make sense, right? Like, no, I guess it didn't really. It's kind of showing here that anything released in the 90s was like 80s recordings. But, um,. Yeah, so I don't know. But then again, yeah, there's seven inches here. I think it seemed to be, yeah, no, but I have, yeah, I, I definitely have one of these seven inches that came out in 96. I just think a lot of it seemed to be like posthumous stuff that I would just put out is my guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, I was just wondering clarity on that. Those who listen that keenly to the interview uh, who are as nerdy as me about this kind of stuff, I was just very keen on finding that out. Um but yeah, what a show, like what a weird time to see that too. Like, and it just speaks to kind of the things he's talking about throughout the idea that he's just kind of like honing in on certain things and going to those shows. Like that's just, it's wild to me that he's seen like just the breadth of things he's seen, you know, like yeah. like living in his area is just so, uh, I don't know. It's a, Whatever it's 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 a very privilege to be able to catch some of this stuff because I couldn't imagine all this coming through. Well, well actually, Sob did a split with Hiji, no, Hijiko Kaiden, Hijikai. Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. Hijikio <laughs> Kaiden. Yeah, but anyway, the Sob did a collaboration with them yeah. for a number of years, and isn't that that's eyes eyes in that band too, right? Yeah, you got me there. I know the name, but I don't. Uh, again, memberships is difficult for me. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, I know Sob had like links from what I remember hearing. But I just think that scene's kind of interesting to catch that at the era he did, and uh, to think that it kind of I don't know grew as much as it could grow a little bit in that era, and then now just kind of highly revered. But I don't know how popular any of it is. Dude, you uh, gotta look up this band. This which is, the, this like collaboration? It's like a. A super group of of noise artists, and then a super group of Japanese hardcore, and the record came out on uh, Alchemy. 
Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, okay, different alchemy. Of, different alchemy completely than the one I was thinking of. Trying to find it here. I'm looking at SOB, but where's this thing? If you Google FO, SOB noise artist, yeah, yeah. it'll come up. Oh, you're not looking in the resource. I, I thought I'm it was on the resource. resource. No, I'm on the resource. It brought me to the resource. I don't find the one with any noise thing. Um, it it comes up. It's like sob, and then it has uh, kanji symbols behind it. But anyway, okay. of noise, violence, and destroy is the name of the LP. <laughs> okay. Also, two trying to live find videos. A- Noise, violence, and destroy. I'm still not finding it. Anyway. Anyway. This um, is a, man, I got to find seems this record. To, it seems to be a mash of, of different people from those types of groups. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess arguably the other one that kind of includes elements of this that we have sort of discussed is Gizem, of course. But um, slightly different world, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But um, Well, yeah. Anyway. Gizem must have like – there must be like – you know, this is definitely a question for probably Simon Harvey or – Someone who's a lot more uh, versed in Japanese hardcore, um, but the Gizem must have some connection to that world. Yeah, well, it would lead you know, like the records themselves kind of speak to that. It sort of does, but I don't know. I'm kind of I'm very curious about that idea of like what it would have been like to be a contemporary in that era in Japan, mm-hmm. because I think like those scenes are so interesting on you know in and of themselves. Like how much of that was like welcomed in both regards, you know what I mean? Or, or was one just saying it's kind of garbage or whatever? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Well, like SOB clearly had, you know, some sort of stroke in both scenes, you know, like they're, and they're certainly considered one of the higher tier of like the, the, the first, you know, the eighties Japanese hardcore bands. Yeah. Even though they went into the nineties and, and I think, you know, no, they still don't go to today, but they've been, went into the nineties, but they certainly were, you know, you know, like, I guess Rise Above Records, the first Rise Above Records is one of their sonages. So and a split with Napalm Death too, Chris. Yeah. I think I mean I think there's things like of course like Melt Banana has like, you know, delved in arguably both territories mm-hmm. at points. Um as well. There's definitely those kind of I don't know, crossover for whatever that is, but um but the actual like whatever, four fathers or whatever you want to say of like that pure noise stuff, I'm always curious as to how whatever down they are with that OG era Japanese punk hardcore stuff and vice versa. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to anyway. find it when we have a Japanese hardcore legend on the show or a <laughs> yeah. Japanese noise legend. That's your, uh, that's your work there, buddy. <laughs> One day, buddy. One day. <laughs> Dare to dream. Okay. Uh, my point now, I guess. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go. Cool. I guess, uh, Steve Aoki singing for far side. <laughs> How did I know this was going to come up? Yeah. Um, I did, uh, to diverge kind of off your point slightly, I do think that era of the revelation stuff he brings up uh, is interesting because it's not really my cup of tea, uh, except for where he talks about the first quicksand AP. Um, I never got into Farside or Sensefield or into another really. So um, I can't even envision Steve Aoki singing for it. It doesn't really resonate with me how weird that could be because i never really got into that band like it, it also isn't that weird when you know that steve aoki is like the, the dude he is like especially well, back that, then yeah. he was but like yeah. i think now to think of the fact that those two worlds meet is fucking crazy 
<laughs> like, well, he's he's interesting now because that's where you can always bring it back to, and it seems like super odd. Yeah, but if anything, actually, the more I hear about him consistently from those years, like I just kind of like him more. Oh yeah. So no, he definitely. Like, I don't know anything about his. Yeah, like I don't know anything about his music now. But Dude, you don't as know far as anything. All those, like he's like the biggest DJ in the world. Not. Well, actually. no, I've seen like. I've seen whatever. I've seen like little ex- exposés on him, but like to know what a Stevie Aoki song is, like I have no idea. But like, um, you no, know it's fucked up when you think about it. Okay, like right now, the most famous DJs, from my ignorant perspective, uh, <laughs> you know, like oh, not the most famous, but uh, some of the most famous DJs are like yes, Steve Aoki, yeah, uh, uh, Skrillex. Yeah. and Bass Nectar. Right? Okay, I don't know that one, but okay. Bass Nectar is like this huge, he's like headline Madison Square Gardens and De La Soul open for him. Wow. Um, and he's like just like a very popular DJ. Uh, all of them have connections to some sort of punk hardcore. You know, I'm stretching it a little bit with some of them. but Yeah, no, but I know what you're saying. But like think- in the case of Bass Nectar – and Steve Aoki and Diplo, like it's it's really direct to like the kind of punk hardcore we're talking about. Yeah, like I don't know of some of those. Like obviously the Aoki stuff I'm familiar with. Um like in terms of his associations, I don't know the others, but the uh Yeah, I don't know. Like it surprises me in a way, but it doesn't in some ways, because I just think that's where we are now. You know what I mean? Like we're whatever this is broadly termed, whatever all this subculture represents or did previously mm-hmm. it's all stuff that is it's not that it's like household name stuff now but it's not like something like gorilla biscuits is like huge in the zeitgeist now whereas before it wouldn't have been like like it's like what minor threat was that's even huger now and like what gorilla biscuits was is even huger now so it's just everything kind of grows so i've never so knowing like Aoki was huge into that or huge into any of this stuff, I just think it's kind of like the natural progression for the generations that pass it along and it gets whatever more popular or whatever. Some falls through the cracks, but I think by and large what we're discussing is like the pervasive uh, whatever, sonic templates of, of all this stuff. Well, yeah, but I think speaking to like the crux of this show yeah, is like, you know, are there any people that are doing things in pop culture that weren't from – either rap or punk. <laughs> yeah. Pro- I mean, there probably are, but I, I or do some think it's both, but yeah, I think your point is well taken. And I think that's because it's, if we were to look at like the, like again, like the, the subculture, so to speak that, uh, influenced the most it's you're taking from the two biggest pools. Yeah. But I think like it wasn't the biggest pool, right? Like, like in your high school, how many kids were in a punk? Oh no, agreed. But I think like, they not many, like a, a handful of yeah, that, like really. me too. Like they're like yeah. I don't know, a smattering. But like you think about the impact, I can like think of everyone I know that was in a punk in my high school. Yeah, is doing something. You know, like like interesting in in you know like pop culture, or not pop culture, but like music culture or something. Yeah, yeah. you know, and it's I, I don't know, like it's just uh, I, I heard a recent stat that if you're over seven feet. 17% of the people that are over seven feet in this world are in the NBA. Okay. Right. And it's yeah. almost like, like, you know, some, you know, like, what is it? 20%, 16%, maybe it's 
lower than that, but like a disproportionate percentage of people that were involved in punk rock have gone on to to have a a, a cultural impact in their field. It feels like. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think there's some things to express why that could be. I think part of it's because the people that genuinely come from whatever this is, there's an uh, like an ethic to the way to go about doing it. Mm-hmm. And if you're a workhorse and you're talented, then you know, I suppose this is naive saying this so plainly, but yeah, like you will probably get somewhere. Mm-hmm. So there's that idea. Mm-hmm. Um you know, on the same hand, I think it's just also a cultural shift, period. Like I think to use our high school experiences, I think it's much different now, of course. So, and I think it was much different, like a deck, not even like I haven't been in school for a while now, but like, yeah, but what uh, most of the people we're talking about on this show and most of the people we're talking about just in our general conversations are from a decade ago, you know, or, or, yeah. or, you know, like that's like the low end, you know, like this, those are like some of the younger people. So that was still when there was like probably not that many punk people. <laughs> Yeah, but I still uh, – yes, yes to a degree. I, I agree with that to a point. I, th- I think though there's so much that got paved over like the years. Like for us, it was like you know the Nirvana breaking down the walls and like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then you – you know, like Offspring and uh, Green Day and whatever other stuff kind of came after, uh, arguably after. But you know what I mean? It had the cultural impact after. Um I don't know like, where that's led. I think has has made people more. I don't know in tune. And I think like something as simple as like the, obviously the internet has made an impact as far as people like being able to get into like the uh, obscurity of things. I guess, but uh, I don't know. It's a, I, I do think you're correct in saying that this culture, broadly speaking, is very responsible for most of the people in the creative fields that are actually. The whatever shaping the media by and large, mm-hmm. uh, be it music or whatever, uh, visual media, however you want to say that. Because you take, like, you know, an easy example, which we always go back to, but like Spike Jones is like a very easy example of that. And that's just one. Oh, it's like I mean? Spike Jones, Lance Bangs. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like yep. Johnny Depp. Not that you want yep. to put him in your list right now. No, no, I got what you. Mean. I get what you mean. Yeah, like you know, to like Nico Case to like you know like uh, Ryan, who's a VP of Marvel Comics at yep. this point. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just some of it's generational. Some of it is just that you know whatever for whatever these people came from, they they happen to take that aspect of it, the sort of like the workhorse DIY thing, and it just panned out. Or like Vice in general, actually, like you, like you know, and I'm not just saying it because I work for him, but like you look at like, you know, you said Spike Jones, but like yep. everyone there, like not everyone, <laughs> trust me, <laughs> not everyone, but you know, like I like I went into work one day, and Tanya, my boss, goes here and just gives me the second Viltone seven inch. She's like, I recall this. Yeah, I had this at my house. Yep. And I'm like, whoa, okay. She's like, you know, she went to see them. She saw all those bands, like all these punk bands. And like, that's just like one person. And that's one person who affects, you know, I'm like a lot of what you're seeing on that channel in Canada is, you know, she yep. has impact on. And so that's another person from punk, but like, you're right. There are people that have, but I get, maybe, I think maybe you hit on the the nerve earlier. It's like, maybe it's from the fact that you learn as a young person to 
uh, to, to like, to put the work in, like you make your own culture and like, you're not told to do that in, in very many other things other than, other than rap and hip hop. Like the, especially when I was younger, the, 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 the four pillars of hip hop and you care us one saying like, you have to do one of these pillars of hip hop. Like it's, yeah. it's another one of the things, is it four pillars, right? Breakdancing, graffiti, yeah, yeah. DJing. Yeah. Um, and, in like, I, I think like that's, you know, that's probably also why like you have so many people coming out of hip hop who just, you know, a rap that are just, you know, DIY and just building their own culture. And also I think with rap, there's, you know, larger issues at play as well of people being shut out of systems and, and, and yeah, allowed cool. in and having yep. to build their own ways in. But yeah, both genres I think are like, you know, you don't, and it's weird because like, I don't want to talk shit on metal, but it's not like you see the same, you know, what there's Sam, the guy who did Headbangers Journey. And like, you know, you don't really see the same impact in metal. And though metal is a much more popular genre than punk. I think you did. I think it depends, though. Like, these, we can get into nuanced arguments. Because I think, like, in the, whatever, early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, I do think metal was a lot more zeitgeist-driven in that if you take something like like rap metal or rap rock or whatever the hell that is, um, that was, like, a large phenomenon. Now, that's not really, like... But also, that, that comes out of punk, too, Chris, though. Yeah, to an extent. But, well, you know, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers and... and uh, Rage Against the Machine and, yeah. and Beastie Boys, yep. which I'd say yep. would be the big, you know, God, uh, what a... <laughs> you're, you're ignoring, and I mean, this is like a tangentially connected as well, but like Anthrax, Public Enemy is like, was the big one yeah. initially, I would argue. And but Biohazard, again, and, but, and also Biohazard yeah. with Onyx. Uh, yeah. Onyx. Yeah. And I would say, but also there, there's direct punk connections between, yeah. Uh, yeah. with with both those bands to, yes. to hardcore, New York hardcore specifically. Yes. Um, yep. So, it's true. It's not giving us enough credit. Yes. It's us. It's our team. We did it. It's punk. <laughs> it's punk and rap. We yeah. have to take the blame for rap metal. <laughs> can't, well, I'm not taking that blame. But we yeah. can't blame it on the metalheads. It did give us <laughs> Homies, which we admit is an amazing song. No, you admit. I, I do not admit that. <laughs> <laughs> I refute that highly. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that one open for now. On to the next, <laughs> the next point. point. Is it you or me? I don't know who started I don't even this. know, Chris, at this point. This is the point of the show where it starts getting a little wonky. Okay, well, I'll take one here. Um, I believe it was you. you. You mentioned the Stevie Oki Farside thing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so um, the John Bryan thing real quick. Um, yes. You discussed at the top of the show the idea of like getting so obsessed with an artist that you pretty much only – not you yourself, but the idea of going only to see one artist – sort of whatever, religiously, so to speak, for the for like a period of time. Um, I've definitely never done that either. I like the idea of it, though. Um, but that era that he's discussing, I think, would have been really, really interesting. He, mm -hmm. The things that are crazy about him is when you hear about, like, he discusses the Largo whatever scene broadly or whatever. He's talking about John Bryan's whatever residency, and then he's mentioning what, like Fiona Apple and Amy Mann and Elliot Smith, Smith. Yeah. He even mentions Beck. But all those things is kind of funny. Like, again, like you have so many connections with those, with the, well, Beck even, of course, too. But like those early ones mentioned there, it's like that, all that stuff shaped a whole world. You know what I mean? If, even if you look at something like uh, um, Paul Thomas Anderson movies, like, you know, you think of someone like Amy Mann on the soundtracks or. You know, anything like that. Like Elliot Smith, of course, is another, you know, huge zeitgeist artist because of his.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.